to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. This week's lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all those who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Jesus is at it again. He's audacious and blunt, and he's his own worst PR for this faith. I mean, large crowds are following him. They're interested in him, in his teachings, in the stories about him, and the stories he's telling. There's something alluring about this strange man who says even stranger things. Some folks are surely just gawking, just looking for a little entertainment, maybe a story to take home to share. They're curious. They want to see for themselves what all the excitement is about, and they're up for maybe getting into a little excitement themselves. Others are likely hoping that the healings they've heard about are real. Perhaps they carry the hope in a miracle for themselves or for a loved one. Or maybe they just want to see a sign that the world could change that God is still acting in human history, that the same God who heals the blind through Jesus might be near enough, present enough to finally do something, anything about Roman occupation or the oppressive taxes or the bad fishing season or whatever is preventing the crops from flourishing or that leak in the roof that seems to defy all repairs. And still others likely don't even know why they're there. Something has compelled them to follow this man, to walk with him a while. It seems like he has something they need, something they're lacking, even if they can't quite name it. Maybe it's a larger sense of purpose or a deeper meaning to life or a connection to something beyond themselves or answers to questions they haven't yet dared to ask. Whatever it is, they're longing for something and it seems like Jesus just might have it or might even be it. And so the crowd is made up of seekers, basically. 
those who are curious, those who have heard or seen something compelling, something that grabbed their attention. They haven't heard all the teachings. They haven't pondered all the parables. They haven't seen all the signs and miracles, but they've had a glimpse of something perhaps only secondhand as Galilean gossip, but something has drawn them to this traveling teacher and they want to see more. And so they follow him. They walk with him, waiting for something, waiting for anything. And then he stops and he turns around and oh my gosh, it's about to happen. Something is going to happen. He's about to speak or heal or who knows what, but something is going to happen. The crowd falls silent. They catch their collective breath. They stare into the face of this man, expecting a blessing, anticipating a word of wisdom, longing for whatever it is that might make them feel whole. And this Jesus opens his mouth and says the most awful thing. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. There is no world in which that's the word anyone was expecting, anyone was hoping for, anyone needed to hear. Like, I honestly can't believe that Peter didn't interject here and take Jesus aside with one of his famous admonitions of, Hey man, don't be talking like that, okay? At least not in public, you weirdo. Remember that these are seekers, people curious about the movement. This again is terrible PR for the faith. And we've got to note that in this saying on the cost of discipleship, Jesus doesn't bother to note any benefits, not a single one. There's no reward offered. This isn't Things are going to be hard, but you'll be received into the kingdom of God. Or you might lose some friends over this, but you'll inherit eternal life. Or you'll need to let go of yourself and your possessions, but you'll find salvation. This is straight. Things are going to be bad and get even worse. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to lose your family, probably even your own life. What I have here for you is the way of the cross the way of persecution, torture, and humiliation. What you don't give up yourself, you'll lose anyhow. You cannot be my disciple without giving up all your possessions. Well, so much for evangelism, Jesus. You have crowds following you, literal crowds. Isn't that the dream? Isn't that the point? Pull them in a bit, entice them. Give them miracles and blessings and wisdoms. Convert them from followers to disciples. It shouldn't take much. After all, you're the son of God. Why then, oh why, have you turned around to tell them how hard this will be, how terrifying and lonely this will all be? Couldn't you have saved that for later or, gosh, just not mentioned it at all? But as you keep hearing 
Jesus isn't much interested in the kind of followers who don't take his demands seriously. You see, to be a disciple is to make a deliberate break with the world we know in order to live according to the new world that Jesus is bringing into being. This break with the old world inevitably involves conflict, perhaps even violence. Jesus is saying that we'll be faced with moments in which we must decide to stand with Jesus and for Jesus regardless of the outcome. That will mean taking risks for his sake. We'll be confronted with issues at work where choosing the right and just path could lead to the loss of our jobs. We'll be confronted with situations in our families or with our friends where adhering to Christ's teachings could mean the loss of relationships that we value. We'll be confronted with decisions in all aspects of our lives, from the way we use money to the ways we choose to use our voices, when we speak and when we keep silent, to the ways we exercise what little power we have to make a broader impact on our society, through voting, through advocacy, through volunteering, through resisting. We will be confronted, we will be bombarded by instances where we are asked to choose whether we will follow Jesus no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, no matter if we lose friends and kindred, all of our possessions, and yes, our very lives. You see, too many of our churches and far too much of American society are filled with nominal Christians, those who are Christian in name only. Those are folks who have aligned themselves with this faith for friends, power, social networks, and warm, fuzzy feelings, rather than mission, the hard work of disciple-making, the transformative task of love. Their congregational life is practically indiscernible from that of a country club or a garden club, a simple fellowship of like-minded people who enjoy each other's company. Jesus doesn't promise anything like that. He keeps telling people that if you're doing this well, if you're taking this faith seriously and enacting it through radical love, that it will eat you alive. Your expectations here should be that you will lose everything, not that you'll be made happy or that you'll get to enjoy your favorite hymns or that you'll get lots of hugs at the potluck. I guess it's possible that some of those things could still happen, but that's not the point of this, of all of this. You heard what Jesus just said. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. None of you can be my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Does that sound like an ice cream social to you? What I see happening in American churches right now, and what I'm honestly excited about right now, is a kind of winnowing away of many of those nominal Christians. And the churches that are thriving in this moment are the ones that, first of all, have always reached beyond themselves, have always reached out to their communities in daring, love-filled missions. And second of all, have refused 
to let the nominal Christians stand in their way. When those folks have come with threats of leaving because they aren't getting their way, aren't getting what might make them happy, those churches have taken them up on their threats. Like Jesus, they've reminded those folks that that's not what we're about here, that they can either be with the mission of love or against it. And if they aren't on board, the rest of the body is better off without them because the rest of the body will be free to pursue love unencumbered without them. And those grand, extravagant acts of love in the world will entail great risks and will be dangerous and will get you into good trouble, but they will also get you noticed. And that crowd of seekers will circle around to try to get a better look, and a lot of them will leave. A lot of them will hear these demands, this challenge of Jesus, and they'll calculate the cost and they'll walk away. But some will become disciples, and those people will strengthen your church and strengthen your mission and help you become a beacon of God's love in this world. You do not need hundreds of people here. I know that's what you want. That's what every church wants. But it's better, far better for you, for this congregation and for the faith, for you to have even a handful of dedicated disciples willing to risk everything for love. That's the choice that Jesus makes in today's scripture, and it's a choice that Jesus makes consistently throughout the Gospels. We don't have any stories in the Gospels where Jesus tries to talk folks into joining him, where he bargains with folks to become his disciples. There's no compromise with Jesus. He says hard things, demands hard things, asks that folks risk hard things, and most of the time, almost every time, folks walk away. Jesus isn't interested in large crowds, curious but uncommitted, but just a few folks willing to walk the path of the cross with him, willing to face their own deaths in this outrageous and extravagant and foolhardy pursuit of love. I doubt that some of you have heard a sermon where the preacher admonishes you to consider leaving the church. But if those words of Jesus, of Jesus, if those words of Jesus frighten you or describe stakes that you aren't willing to face, this isn't for you. This faith isn't for you. Do something else. Join a book club. Go to brunch. Find a knitting circle. Get into fly fishing. The things you want are there, and you shouldn't expect them here. This is a venue for risk, for radical love, a place where we stick our necks out for the gospel, for others, because that's what Jesus told us to do. And Jesus warns that his demands necessitate the loss of your former self and will likely lead to the loss of everything you hold dear, perhaps even your very life. That's the invitation to this faith. That's the invitation that Jesus offers. There's no other promise offered 
Is that a challenge you're willing to accept or not? Are you willing to risk everything for this faith? Are you willing to risk everything for the gospel? Are you willing to risk everything for love?